Okay, well, I guess we can go ahead and get started. And uh, when Garm joins, I think. Oh, there he is. Perfect. Um, yeah, so uh, welcome everyone to another uh, M6 Alpha League call. So today we have um, big uh, founders from um, Fairside. And um, we've been speaking with these guys for a long time because uh, insurance has been one area that we really don't understand enough and haven't seen like really good takes and educated kind of uh, discussions around it. So um, Brandon and Charles from Fairside, they're definitely insurance experts, especially in DeFi. So uh, we thought we'd bring them on and um, kind of discuss some of the um, alpha topics with uh, what's really missing and, and how even me and you and all the retail investors could participate in kind of uh, early protocol success on on DeFi and um, yeah so Brandon Charles uh, warm welcome do you guys want to give a brief intro about uh, yourselves and maybe the project or your background maybe hey sure thank you thanks for the invite guys uh, yeah so uh, myself a uh, 12 year insurance veteran I've uh, been a student of the game for a long time there uh, spent a lot of time understanding retail buyers uh, and about five years ago, really dove straight into crypto. And fr from that, basically, my understanding of crypto initially was all this uh, money being made in crypto. So I kind of jumped right in, uh, then immediately sort of understood the technology being something very revolutionary. Um, went to insure my own crypto and coming from the background, thought it wouldn't be that difficult to do. Um, when I found out that there was no readily available products, I switched my focus. Um, I still have an insurance uh, company that operates today, uh, but I switched my focus to solving the, the lack of readily available insurance products for the retail side, um, first and foremost. Um, and then it sort of uh, spun into to Fairside, which is uh, more of this cover primitive um, Ultimately, what we're doing is we're applying traditional principles of insurance to the blockchain uh, and creating this next generation of DeFi cover, which is a multi-chain cross-project, multi, uh, multiple cover types, all from one single policy or membership in our case, uh, where the cover is designed to follow the user. Uh, the end goal is ultimately to create this universal full stack cover um, that's available to any crypto user in the space. Um, that's it in a nutshell. Happy to go as deep, uh, you know what I mean? But we could be here a long time doing that, but happy to answer any questions uh, on that front. But I'll let Charles do a quick intro as well. Hey, everybody. Yeah, thanks for the warm intro. Um, my background, crypto to insurance, came via um, the Texas Holden community. So I, I first got introduced to, to cryptocurrency um, like 2016 into 17. Um, through the poker community that I was part of um, that segued into working for an early security company, Hosho, back in the day before moving into uh, working for Certic most recently prior to founding um, Fairside with Brandon. So it was kind of a natural evolution from um, gambling to gambling, then understanding the, the security risk of it, realizing that, um, that just isn't enough, really, at the end of the day. You need to be able to insure these assets against a lot of things that security just won't cover. And so it was kind of a, a natural harmony between Brandon and myself. And um, we, we got introduced by way of our other co-founder, Andrew Hogue. And so uh, we're here today trying to make a product that works, really. Um, so Brandon is the insurance wizard. I have a little bit of the security and kind of uh, application background. So we're... Um, we're working hard on, on putting together something that actually actually works in the space and that people don't hate using. Awesome. I, I, I think that's, that's a really good uh, segue. So um, in terms of insurance, I mean, we've all heard of the success, sort of success case of Nexus Mutual and how big they've gotten. But um, I think even though it, it, there's such a, you know, so supposedly so much cover, um, I myself, I've have dabbled with it when I was farming like large amounts, but it never really seemed that convenient to use, nor like it did seem even you know working half the time. So, what's really going on there, and like 
uh, to just to give a bit of background on, you know, our, our, our listeners, like, why is insurance so difficult and like not that, not actually covering much of the losses we're seeing today? Yeah, so I actually think that there's a couple things going on uh, in the insurance space today. One of them is that uh, you've got two things happening. What you have a lack of adoption on the stakeholder side. You have a lack of adoption on the product side. Um, on the on the side of the stakeholder, um, the way that um, insurance has been designed it isn't really um, a known insurance mechanism. You're basically uh, everyone's kind of familiar with the idea of like staking a project in order to provide this insurance. But every time you stake a project um, or even a basket of projects, you create a very high correlation of your assets and the risk that you're meant to insure. Um, and then that concentration of risk is absolute, which then leads to stakeholder liquidation as the means providing insurance. Um, that scenario is a zero sum game where you just transfer one investor's misfortune for another. So using like cream finance uh, as the example, um, you pay out the cream finance um, policyholders through liquidation of stakeholders on the Nexus system. So that's, an, uh, that's a very inherently high level of risk that the stakeholders, uh, I think it's not lost on them. And so you get this lack of adoption on staking because uh, the risk reward ratio just doesn't make any sense. Um, on the product side, you're seeing um, products that are basically built on like a very specific basis where you buy cover for smart contract loss for a specific project for a certain number of days. And if you have multiple um, like positions in different projects, then one, you have to buy multiple policies, pay multiple premiums, and then also manage the time in which you want to do that. And then you have to hope that there's a pool that's been created in on nexus for the project that you're that you're participating into and so that that creates this system where um it becomes cumbersome and actually creates more issues than it solves as a as you're continuing to try to get further into DeFi. Um, really what the i think it's a not a relatable product in terms of what people are used to in traditional finance you're used to products that you purchase and then they're good for a year and then they follow you around um, as you traverse through the the crypto landscape and that's really what i think that the community wants is something that is going to include multiple cover types because i mean if i'm if I'm in a particular project and it's not a smart contract failure, but it ends up being a failed business logic or a flash loan attack, well, you didn't buy cover for that. So then it starts to put this bad taste in people's mouths. I, I think the other side of it too, is that if you look at how claims are actually decided, claims are decided by a stake to vote system. So you stake in order to vote in the network. Um, but in these systems where you've created this high correlation of risk, um, if you vote unfairly in the system, you are liquidated for voting unfairly. Um, they, they'll liquidate your staked position to vote. And then if you vote fairly, then you get liquidated for paying out. And so you create this um, situation where there's really not a win-win for you as a stakeholder um, or uh, in the network as somebody holding a position uh, providing cover. So I, I think that system creates... Um, ultimately calls into question the objectivity of how you can vote fairly in those systems. And I think that's one of the other issues. You know, insurance is a system that you have to rely on trust within the, the network, which you're buying cover. And so I think that holds a lot of people back as well. Cause you're seeing like, you're seeing a lot of um, in the voting, you see consensus 100% of the time. So either everyone in the system is voting to pay or not pay. Um, I would think in a DAO or in, in a fair system, you'd get some people that are thinking one way and some people that are thinking the other way. And that's not the, the case that is that stands today. Yeah, that's I think that's that's really good, like comprehensive view. Um, it's a lot to unpack there. So I, maybe we can like um, separate it a little bit. So um, for our listeners, so, so current state of Nexus is um, from my like kind of, very brief understanding is there are individual projects and you need to um you can you know be an insurer in that project's pool and say okay i believe this project won't be hacked and 
Um, so that's you, you deposit your, your money in there and people that want cover will can then go in that pool. Um, but that model seems to have a lot of conflicts, like Brandon just said, because at a high level, when there's a hack that happens, for example, on Cream or recently Badger DAO, the people that are insuring the pool are kind of conflicted um, to um, actually carry out the coverage because then, well, they, they lose money because they, you know, they, but at, at the same time, um, if they don't vote to cover it, they also lose money. So this is why the system kind of doesn't function um, most of the time. And um, so, so I, I guess that's, I don't ha- have a deep enough understanding of it, but that's kind of how I um, understood from um, a lot of the discussions. And then, um, and also, yeah, of course, like a lot of times, like if you haven't used Nexus before, it's, seems very specific um, to cover like smart contract risk and it's very code like and it's there are many cases that are not covered for example if the team just loses their private key like it's not covered or if uh, there's a flash loan there's so many disputes all the time because it's a innovating space so um, yeah so these are some of the things that like are really kind of preventing all these from from taking adoption um i I think that's i don't know maybe that's a little bit too more information as well but it's like kind of how i understand it from a layman's perspective um so what what's but regardless um for everyone that was in nexus kind of early right they did see a lot of profit especially in the DeFi summer days and it seems like Nexus is still holding that level, um, despite like we don't hear of okay Nexus covering huge hacks. So what's what's really happening there? Like why are they still such a big project, and why has nobody else kind of disrupted them, um, like with an actual working product? So I think that you know Nexus's early launch into. DeFi insurance kind of gave them a leg up against the competition. And a lot of people that are building DeFi cover protocols outside of Nexus um, are, you know, smart contract engineers, they're attorneys. Um, not a, you don't see a lot of core competency coming into the space from um, insurance or risk model perspectives with strong actuarial backgrounds. Um, and, and I think that that's part of the issue that what you when people saw early success in Nexus, they then considered that to be the way in which insurance would be done. But I think that, you know, creating these 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 uh, project staking models um, is more closer related to betting where you bet the protocol is not going to have a failure. And I bet it is. So I buy cover. Um, where insurance is meant to be more of a diversified um, risk model approach where you spread the risk of the stakeholders. And you do that by creating a diversified pool of insureds that have come to the project for a multitude of different reasons, not specific projects. And so I, I think that the key there is when you create that diversification of risk, you're actually able to create something more um relevant in the insurance market. And so what you have is a bunch of um, protocols. This is my personal opinion of a bunch of protocols that have like forked the idea of Nexus. If they haven't forked the code directly, it's a fork of the idea where you're still creating project staking and basket staking as the means for providing insurance. Um, And I think that that's part of the problem is that there's not been enough innovation in the space. And I think that that kind of leads to like, no more adoption of insurance. And then in terms of, you know, what Nexus has done is they've created this system with early adoption that that's really the only means for the closest related insurance product. Because, in you know, Nexus did do some things really well. And one of them was to use a bonding curve as a self-regulating solvency mechanism. And that has allowed them to, you know, kind of remain solvent, kind of, you know, maintain the pricing model of the mechanism. Um, And I think that, you know, the way that 
that that that mechanism is designed is it's also designed um, to be seated against the underlying asset of Ethereum. And so when Ethereum does go up, it's like more of like the market exposure versus having an investment, you know, portfolio that they're using. They're also they're they're linked to Ethereum itself. Um, so the price of Nexus goes up in relation to Ethereum going up. Um, which gives them some exposure, but also creates um, a nice float in the market for them. Um, so I think it's a, um, a well-designed um, mechanism, but the cap- the way in which they use the capital, I think is misaligned to um, to create a risk model that's sustainable. Yeah, I, I think I like, I understand um, from a brief uh, overview of, like, because Nexus always seemed like this um, weird case for uh, for an investment perspective. Because even in DeFi Summer, it, it seemed like the, there's some sort of you know pricing action that's constantly going on. And the, as you described, that's the bonding curve that they did really well um, f- for the sake of growth hacking and getting a lot of you know capital into the pool to cover people. It's just that the product is a little bit weird and it's not really doing the coverage. So I think that would be quite alpha for our listeners and our team as well. So could we like dive a little bit deeper into how kind of the bootstrapping of the bonding curve works and, and um, for kind of insurance protocols like Fairside, like what's the, um, yeah, I think just understanding that would be like very, um, very alpha as uh, early participants, early investors actually have um, like a very defined, uh, what would you call it? Like like future um, expectation, I guess. Um, yeah, so so we'd love to dive into that a bit more. Uh, I think that would be super interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, that's from a because we have a very retail focused, um, you know, listeners and audience, and um, the fact that being alpha leak, right? There's one side of the people that are, uh, you know, using DeFi and um, will be convinced on the product, but there's the other side of people that want to understand like how and why like insurance protocol tokens are different in their value appreciation. So that mm-hmm. would be, yeah, that's that's really useful, I think. So in describing um, like basically Nexus's model to like against the Fairside model. So Nexus uses a bonding curve. Um, Fairside uses a bonding curve. And we're the only two um, insurance protocols that I know that are using bonding curves. And I think part of the, um, the bonding curve itself is, is sort of a complicated system um, in driving the price of the token itself. So in the Nexus system, you bond Ethereum to the capital pool and it mints an NXM token. And then you further stake that NXM token against um, projects that you want. In the fair side system, you bond Ethereum to the capital pool and then you receive an FSD token, which acts as a synthetic of the capital pool. And so that um, when you actually pull claims out of the capital pool, um, there's a marginal decrease in the value of FSD, but you still hold all the FSD that you had before. There's no... um, liquidation of the um, of the FSD token. What's driving the price of um, Nexus's um, token pricing model is a couple things. There's, um, they use, um, you know, a minimum capital requirement and then a minimum capital um, requirement ratio. Um, and Fairside is using a similar mechanism to that. And, and really how that works is um, the F-share itself in Fairside's model would be equivalent to like the minimum capital requirement. And when you are loading Ethereum into the bonding curve, you're actually measuring the space underneath the curve. Um, and then the larger that space becomes, the basically the larger the premium, or I'm sorry, the price of FSC tokens would rise. And so what you're, what you're attempting to do though is is measure against the minimum capital requirement or the F share in this example. And so 
as the Ethereum in the capital pool is is reaching closer to the minimum capital requirement, you're actually creating um, like it's where the curve starts to turn upward. And then you have so the F share itself or the minimum capital requirement is measuring long term adoption of the product. And so when you have um, the F share is actually measuring the amount of capital that you need against the amount of potential liabilities that you have. And so when you get adoption of the product, the liabilities are increasing and the F share being the long-term driver is actually increasing. Um, and you can think of it sort of like increasing the floor price um, of the token model. Um, the F share ratio, which is measuring the amount of capital you have against the potential liabilities of the network. Um, what it's doing is measuring, you know, how much capital do we have? And when you exceed the 100% mark where you have more capital than you need, you consider that to be overstaked. Um, that's when the price actually starts to rise very, very quickly. Um, and in our model, um, what, we're, what we're looking at doing is saying, okay, we need smart staking, which is like, will basically dynamically change the amount of rewards being paid to stakeholders as we get overstaked. Because what you typically see happening in a model, like if you consider like staking the maker pool, like if you stake a million dollars in the maker tool pool, and then I come along and stake a million dollars in the maker pool, we now dilute each other's returns equally until the entire pool is filled back up. Um, and so the first, the first staker in the network is actually getting diluted by the second staker. Well, we actually want to incentivize um, overstaking to a certain degree. And so when the capital pool is rising um, over that F share or that minimum capital requirement, what ends up happening is that's overstaking is occurring and we start dynamically changing the rewards upward from 20% in the system all the way up to 85%. So that allows the overstaking to come to about 190% overstaked, um, which allows the token price to actually appreciate without diluting any of the returns. But on the high side, if you continue to stake, um, dilution of returns will continue, will start to happen and capital at rest becomes um, something in the network, which we try to avoid. So we don't want more capital sitting there than you, than you can use. And so um, when, the, when the overstaking occurs to the high side above 190%, um, basically sell-off is being incentivized because the price is starting to move so quickly while the API is going down the APY is going down. So um, sell-off occurs and then the APY comes back up and we kind of find that sweet spot of so, around 190% overstaked. Yep, Brent, sorry to just interrupt there. There's, um, I know we've um, we've dived into the product a lot before, <laughs> but yeah, just for our listeners' sake, I mean, like from our, um, basically, even to summarize for, I, I guess, uh, Luke, um, like, Similar models, Nexus and, and Fairside, um, there, there's essentially like a floor price for um, for Nexus. That's like the NXM like representing membership uh, for um, Fairside. That's the FSD or mm -hmm. sorry. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. as the as more people are uh, entered the you know, total pool to um, deposit their money and help other people insure their the floor price prices and there's and that's um, so this is why like I think it's super important to understand like when you get into insurance related tokens especially in the ones with bonding curve models at a let's say early market cap type of um, situation um like the price um actually just scales with adoption instead of like a ton of speculation um like the speculation will make it fluctuate and will price it in faster but the, like product adoption in insurance projects actually drive price directly um yeah, I think that's that's kind of uh Yeah, I I probably went a little too deep there. So um, <laughs> no, I mean, like uh, this is like the third time I've heard of it now. It still confuses me. Okay, like half so, half of the information. 
Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I, I can clean it up. Yeah, just like you, you basically said. So you, um, the more Ethereum being bonded to the capital pool, the price will continue to rise in a bonding curve. Priority in the curve matters. The earlier you mint your tokens, um, the more upside in the model there is for you. Um, and then as Ethereum is being deposited, the price is actually going up on a token model that is measured against adoption of the product and also measured against uh, the immediate capital need of the pool. Yeah. So both uh, sides yeah. as well, right? Like the more people deposit as well as the more demand for the for the pool, like people taking out cover and people helping people uh, cover, right? Both kind of adoption drive the price um, pretty much. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And which is why it's important to build a product that is widely scalable and widely used by many people. And so if you can create a product like that, then you can actually um, see a much uh, more robust token price because it's it's being built by the factors of adoption. And, and, and that's really what's key to the bonding curve is w getting the adoption on, on the product itself. Yeah. And, and the fact that um, if you look at Nexus, like we cover a little bit... Um, Nexus as they also use this model. So when people deposit a lot of Ethereum, right, the market cap grows. But for the most part, it's just scaling with the total value of the Ethereum in the Nexus pool. So this is why like yeah. it's pretty much just following Ethereum. Um and this is why like even though nobody uses Nexus much to actually get payout in insurance um successfully it's still there because there's so much ETH in it. Um, yeah. One, one of the other things I think too, is when you build a model that is um, highly correlated to the risk like Nexus, it actually um, is detrimental to your capital efficiency of the network. But if you can build a model that is decentralized, I'm sorry, um, diversified, if you can build a diversified capital pool um, then you actually increase your capital efficiency, the ability to safely offer cover uh, against the TVL that's locked. When you do that, that actually uh, creates an environment where the token price can ex um, can grow much faster because you don't need as much capital in the pool um, in order for you to offer cover. Yeah. Um, Luke, do you have, I mean, do you guys have any um thoughts i mean i i was the main person to to connect with brandon like for um quite a while now so i i've i i do not want to it to all be us um yeah like, no i've i've had uh audio troubles for a little bit so okay <laughs> um yeah so i i guess one of my uh bigger concerns not bigger concerns but bigger issues with um Insurance is like on-chain identity. And um, yeah, so like I, I kind of think like when we kind of have better adoption of on-chain identity, we can have like adoption of um, different insurances for kind of like in real life um, insurances like backed on blockchain. Is there any um, plans for this going down the road from you guys? Yeah, that's actually a great point. Um, the network is is capable of handling many different types of losses under a single membership. And one of the narratives that you saw, like for BadgerDAO, for example, was BadgerDAO is an uninsurable risk. Um, I believe that to be absolutely untrue. I believe it to be true for the current models that exist um, because there is this high correlation of risk that you can't really add any risk on top of it or liquidation of your stakeholders becomes like a fact and not a maybe. Um, and so to your point on, you know, creating this um, on-chain ID or I think that that is going to be key to um, offering different levels of cover, something like Badger DAO. I think that that is mm -hmm. a Clearly, clearly a loss that we can look at and say was not insurance fraud. Like a lot of unrelated people were affected by that front end attack. Um, but if you are an individual, the only person affected by a front end attack, it shouldn't preclude you from making a claim uh, on a, an attack that happened to you. Um, but one of the things that we see in the traditional space is that you're, you're a known entity, which is why you don't often, you know, 
create like wire transfer fraud on yourself because you go through an investigation, you have to make a police report and you become a known entity of the insurance company. And, you know, you know, getting caught in that system becomes likely. So I think that on-chain identity for certain types of losses that require off-chain data um, to be brought on-chain, I think is something that um, would make those claims much easier um, to handle in our system, particularly. Mm -hmm. uh, are you guys like looking uh, into partnering with any of these uh, on-chain identities or... Um... Yeah, have you guys put any thought towards that currently or um yeah. Yeah, well, um, you know, we have a, a strong relationship with um Synapse mm -hmm. KYC provider, so um we are in discussions there as to how we could do that more efficiently. Nice, cuz that's one of the biggest um like that's kind of one of the two things that I need to see synergize pretty well in order for uh, insurance to really be a, a really bullish narrative, in my opinion. But um, yeah, no, it's great that we're that I'm seeing like uh, that we're seeing strives strives in in that space. So uh, yeah, it's great to hear that you guys are thinking about that. Yeah, because I mean, if you consider um, on chain data, it's easy to um, diagnose the cause, but when you get into like use, you know, having to grab off chain data that actually um, opens you up. If you've got an easy way to do that um, or to pro provide this, this, you know, blockchain ID or KYC individuals, mm -hmm. you're really just talking about changing the proof of loss um, to verify that, that the individual suffered the loss. And so that makes it a lot easier when you can do that. And it opens us up to a whole new range of losses that, are more easily covered um, in a DeFi cover mechanism. Yes, yeah. And then and the insurance you can provide can be way more dynamic and uh, uh, as a result. Um, yeah, and that, and that great. that's kind of key to getting to the, the full stack, universal full stack cover is to be able to have this so that we can get to the front end attacks and uh, more, more easily. Yeah, yes. Um, Yeah. What? Well, uh... so, so yeah. So Luke, I mean, um, there's there's actually a lot. Like I think uh, Marin hasn't gone into because um, like so imagine like uh, if you take on like a uh, traditional insurance, right? You have um, you go to the insurance company and you say, okay, I want to take a uh, life insurance or finance insurance, whatever, and you just pay like kind of constant fee and it's covered for most of the stuff like and you don't have to do much and and that is what fairside is trying to do when um i, I spoke with them because uh, right now it's like for badger dow front end stuff or when private keys are lost if the team or flash on it's it's so much it's so much detail in the smart contract and it's like kind of developer team arguing with other developer team and like people that are actual users they don't have any benefit whatsoever so um so so yeah i, I what i want to see was more of um just kind of a one model where you know you you're easily covered you don't have to think about um you're easily covered for like a general type of um use case uh for example if you're a farmer and you just like okay i, I want to get covered for all kinds of farming activity instead of on one pool and then you just pay fee constantly for one time and then you're you're covered and it's that kind of usability um and um yeah i i think that's what's missing and and um i've this is why i was bullish on Fairside. it was uh it was the first guys that are actually um building this for users and like trying to onboard even like you know if you're um farming ten thousand dollars this still makes sense to you like uh that kind of product instead of um 
okay, we're bullish on insurance narrative and we're farming like Alameda and we want to get covered for sushi. So we support Nexus, like that kind of, you know, those, those are not really useful products. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I truly believe this is, um, like really good direction for actual, for people to actually start using insurance. Um, so like prior to this, like, and excuse my naivety branding, but like, cause I, I didn't take out insurance because of, of the, the extreme cost pretty much. But, um, um, so like when you take out uh, an insurance from like Nexus, uh, it, it, I, I'm pretty, I think I'm more familiar with like why insurance, uh, from like back in like 2020. Um, and like that, those were like NFTs and those would cover specific positions to specific pools. So if I was like LPing like stables into, uh, Uniswap, like I would have to input my specific amount of like stables that I put into the pool. And then if I lost, I would like redeem my, uh, uh, NFT, I, this is where I kind of lose it a little bit, but um, mm-hmm. am I am I right on this? And then you're kind of this is where fear sides kind of differentiating themselves, where you can kind of take insurance against being a general DeFi farmer uh, versus just a you know insuring your specific pools that you're in. Yeah, so um, yeah, it, it's a lot simpler than um, like traditional like the other models that you know. So. Ultimately, what you do is you come in and buy insurance in units of Ethereum. So um, if you want, uh, you know, a 10 Ethereum cover limit, then you just purchase um, cover for 10 Ethereum, which is a 4% fee. But here's how. So let's just say it's roughly covering you for what would be considered. Let's just call it $40,000 in value. It, you're, and you could be farming um, on the Avalanche ecosystem, the Phantom ecosystem, Solana ecosystem, the Ethereum ecosystem, near, you know, you name it. You could be you could be doing any DeFi activities, and the forty thousand dollars in cover you have is backing you in all different um, in all different positions that you have in different ecosystems. And so if you have a claim that say comes from the avalanche ecosystem, you would make your claim and then ultimately um, you would get paid out in ETH or die. Uh, we're working on a system to get paid out in stables of those different ecosystems. If you never wanted to leave the avalanche ecosystem and you could just make your claim uh, and get paid out in, in avalanche um, stables. But um, the system is designed on a 4% model, but it's, it's, it's multi-chain. And so uh, whatever your position is, it's not against a specific project, it's against loss types. And so um, the DAO will make proposals to say cover smart contract cover for any project that has two public audits or has been operational in the wild for 18 months. And when then we whitelist, you know, the chains in which we cover. Um, and then ultimately what happens is you're able to like basically like the one-stop, you know, DeFi cover shop, you just, you buy your cover, and if you need to top up cover, then you can top up at any time. Coverage is good for a year, and and then ultimately, you know that four percent fee is covering you for everything that you do. And so, if you consider it against like a Nexus model or any other models where you're buying project by project cover, you're paying two point six percent for every project you have. So if you wanted you know ten thousand dollars in cover or forty thousand dollars in cover on this project, then it's two point six and two point six and two point six for every project that you want cover for. This is more um, of a broad-based approach, uh, more of a comprehensive insurance model. So you're able to buy cover, um, like the amount of cover you want. And then that cover follows you. You know, one of the things that that I see being a real benefit to users is that, you know, when you go to uh, a new DeFi farming, you know, app or staking site, what you're able to do is, and this is my personal experience is that, you know, I don't know how big of a bullet I want to fire because I know that I'm not covered. Right. And so um, if you're, you know, if you're able to fire the bullet you wanted because you know that this is a reputable site has been audited um, and something bad does happen, well then you know that the cost, the 4% cost of cover is easily made up 
you know, in that, in the idea of being able to stake. So the idea of insurance doesn't only protect you, but it also allows you to be free to earn in the space, right? Because you can go around in reputable places and, and have the most opportunity um, by having proper cover. Yeah. Like agreed. Yeah. It, it makes you like very easy to move and you don't have to move the, you know, the, your coverage position constantly if you ape a lot like let's say you're viper you change your position every day right uh, um what happens <laughs> is like um for example fairside has a partnership with rock dog such that anything that's reviewed to be relatively safe by rock dog is covered under the fairside DAOs voting just as an example right then everywhere on every chain you go to, as long as it's rock dog approved, you ape into it and you know you don't have to change your insurance, right? It's like super easy and, and like then you can ape the similar size every time. Yeah. It, it, for at a four percent fee it becomes plus E V pretty quickly. Uh, yeah. increasing your position. So it's it's pretty nice for, for most retail investors who don't just hold say a little bit of Ethereum on a ledger, but people who are relatively to moderately active in the space. So are you guys discriminating against uh, like leveraged pools at all? So like I'm I'm assuming that like the the degen box uh, like Abracadabra's degen box on Luna uh, is or you know the UST MIM pool. I think that's um it, it, I, I don't know if it's if it's approved by Rug Doc, but if that were to be approved by Rug Doc, would there be any uh, discriminatory measures taken by uh, far, uh, far side? Uh, no, not necessarily. So, I mean, we, we just create thresholds around all the projects. So, for example, if we were going to, you know, the DAO vote to cover smart contracts is a broad-based smart contract cover. Um, you know, if we get into rug pulls, then rug pulls will ultimately be, you know, say the, the rug doc uh, approval, uh, you know, and then, you know, uh, non-anon teams and things like that. So as long as you meet thresholds around the project for the type of loss that it is, um, then it would ultimately, you know, it's it's still up to DAO vote, but we, we do voting in a provably fair way. So it's, it's very different than the voting that you see in most systems today. Um, but yeah, that's the concept is that, you know, if, we're, if, if we put a threshold around it, then the DAO would accept that as a loss. Yeah. Okay. That kind of what Brandon touched on. It always tracks back to the fact that stakeholders aren't liquidated, right? So, so stakeholders, members, anyone who's reached governance level and, and is able to vote within the system, is always incentivized to vote fairly. Um, we're we're implementing a play a process too where we don't look directly at um, what concentration of holders have what different assets at the time of exploit prior to pushing through a vote. So we kind of want these, these DAO votes and thresholds that are put out there to be as clean as possible, people to vote as fairly as possible. Um, one, whether these losses have hit a certain threshold of, of what we've put in place for the DAO to be able to cover, and, and two, whether we deem them to be you know unreasonable. Should this have happened? Should this have not have happened? Were people affected negatively? Um, and then be able to just vote with a clean mind. Um, process goes through, the DAO votes, it's been approved, it's been denied. If it's been approved, um, then we put out, you know, kind of this, uh, you know, notice to the rest of the community saying, this has been pushed through governance, this most recent uh, cream finance hack is approved. If you've been affected and hold a membership with Fairside, um, here's the information you need to submit for your process. And so given that we do have a, a broad-based coverage, we, we put this sort of kind of rate limiting in place around the thresholds on different types of hacks. So one example is if you go to, this is a scamcoin.com and there's a disclaimer on the webpage that says, this is a scam, I will take your money <laughs> and, and you partake in it. And then you come to Fairside DAO with your membership and say, hey, I was scammed by this is a scamcoin.com. It's unlikely the DAO is going to vote in your favor, um, just as one extreme example. But then the large breadth of other things that affect people in the crypto space um, become increasingly more likely to be accepted by what we're trying to consider a reasonable DAO. But, I, mm -hmm. you know, I think the, the, the key there for the claims, though, is that um, 
because we don't liquidate stakeholders, um, we can actually vote fairly. So we allow the entire governance committee to vote. Like, so all governance members to vote um, without having to stake to vote. And so the larger the voting pool, the more fair the outcome. And then we vote on loss events, not individual losses. So by voting on a loss event like cream finance, you vote on the event. Is this something that we intend to cover? Yes, it is. And then it gets moved to approve losses. And then members only need to provide proof of loss. We no longer have to vote on 100 different claims. We just vote on one, one, one event. And what that does is it creates um, a higher participation in the DAO by only having to vote once. And then every time someone makes a claim, you get paid as, as consensus voter. So you could vote one time and get paid 100 times in the network. And that's really the idea is that you're creating this high participation in the DAO in a provably fair way because we're voting prior knowing whether any of our members have suffered a loss in the system. Okay, nice. Nice. I think everything's real coming through clear, by the way, um, in terms of like, uh, yeah, what, what we're trying to convey. So, um, yeah, I, I just can't wait to use this, to be honest. Like, like I got, I get, I get rugged once. I, I will make all my money back by taking <laughs> having this insurance. I get rugged anywhere, right? Like, it's, yeah, he gets yeah. rugged a lot too. So, <laughs> I, yeah, exactly. Like, and it doesn't really matter how much I get rugged to be worth it. Like, I just change the how much car I have. It's just, it just makes so much sense. Um, yeah. Yeah. So just and, for... and knowing, like you know, the also the tokenomics were like really kind of opened my eyes. Like, I don't if I use it a lot, and I think other people will use it, then it doesn't really matter if people will speculate. If, if people just need to use, and even if there's no trading volume, the price will still rise. And that's like kind of the genius of Nexus, but in Fairside's case as well, like there's uh, uh, or in any kind of insurance protocol with this structure like if it's just actual users it'll be good profit so that's that was really eye-opening for me um mm -hmm. yeah so just to cap this off real quick um and then we can move on to our kind of regular uh, agenda so if i were to get you know, I take out cover for 10 ETH on, uh, you know, Fairside uh, fair on Ethereum. And then I go on to Solana and I get rugged, um, you know, for less than 10 ETH. Then I, all I would have to do is wait for the DAO to approve that event. And then I would just go and then claim my... Uh, I would just go and make a claim, and um, I would get my uh, my money back, essentially, right from from fires uh, from Fairside. Yeah, that's 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 ultimately correct. Um, the only caveat there is that um, you do have to provide the proof of loss, which is then checked by a third party smart contract auditing firm, which is Halborn Security. So okay. once you once your um, once the loss has been approved you provide the proof of loss that has been provided for for you by the DAO. You, it's going to say, hey, let's see, these are the five things you need to prove. Do these five things. And then it immediately goes over to Halborn upon confirmation of um, your involvement in the hack, you know, or your, your exposure to the hack, then Smart Contract automatically pays you out um, whatever you lost, up to your cover limit. Nice. That's great. I'm I'm glad that we're like finally making steps in this area because this is something that's kind of been put a little bit on. I feel like insurance is something that's been put on the back burner, and and uh, we've just seen kind of insurance protocol after insurance protocol die. So I'm glad we're we're finally seeing uh, a little bit of innovation in this space. Finally, yeah. Thank you. I mean, because you know, really, I mean, if you consider what insurance actually is, it's like the economic stability and the social good of any industry. And you really need it as layer zero. Um, it is very difficult for layers one, two, and three to survive long-term in any industry without insurance being that like financial primer to the industry. And by having readily available cover, I think that we usher in a whole new wave of retail investor 
that are just too risk adverse to enter the space. But with cover available, I think that we see a whole new level of adoption. Yes. No, I, I definitely agree with that sentiment. Um, anyways, we're going to go on to uh, our usual trends and what we cover, uh, our narratives that we usually cover. Uh, we'll kind of keep it quick for today. Um, but I think it, the best place to start is the the new VE-33 uh, model that Andre Sesta, I mean, Andre Cronia and Daniel Sesta have been pushing out. Um, there's kind of limited info on this, but uh, essentially they've kind of seen like the benefits of um, of the uh, they've essentially seen the benefits of the, the the curve ecosystem and like the curve wars that are going on there, but they feel that the general sentiment is like convex has a monopoly on curve and pretty much anything that gets pushed through on curve needs to go through convex first. Um, and then yeah, uh, the whoever locks their a uh, their tokens gets to control like the the governance and thus the boosted APYs for the pool. And that's kind of where we get the, the, um, by the way, am I, am I moving a little too fast? Uh, bacon? No, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure even like what you're. Yeah, to... no, that's, that's how I feel right now. <laughs> no, I mean like the, there's a new project basically on Phantom, right? Made by uh, Andrew Cronia and Daniel Sesta. I'm not sure if it's like actually related to Curve or if they're just using VE33 as kind of an example of how their tokenomics is designed. Um, I think it's a project called Solid Swap. Yeah. And then, so. yeah, I'm, I don't know if it's a, like related to Curve. I, I could be wrong, but. I think um, it might have to do something with time, uh, maybe, but um, yeah, I think ultimately it's, it's it's just adopting the the curve model for their uh, new set of tokenomics to, to to try to get people to lock up their tokens and um, yeah, and they're I, I guess to build upon this though. To um, to try to like get their tokens out to the correct people, they're they're airdropping to the top twenty protocols by TVL. So we're seeing like a, a phantom uh, vampire wars going on currently. Yeah, and, and then uh, I think that's mostly done already. It's like also, it's pretty. It's getting pretty close to launch. Uh. And uh, we saw the Kabagul um, um, made the. Uh, um, oh yeah, the V V V V right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that one was kind of funny. That one was like purely made to be the top twenty um, protocols on Phantom, so they can receive uh, uh, airdrop uh, for the people to stick in there um i still don't know what this overall like solid solid swap project is doing to be honest um but it'll be hyped because it's uh it's daniel and, and andre so yeah yeah there's very limited details out on it yet yeah um, the, the ticker also, is gonna be rock though what's uh what's going on with cardano I feel like uh, Cardano. Yeah. yeah, it's like it's it's like kind of coming up. I don't know why. Cardano. I don't know what Sunday Swap just launched. Uh, one is hour. it is it because of the money market? Like yes. Sunday Swap. Yeah, Sunday Swap just. Oh, uh, okay, okay. That's why. Yeah. All the tokens are now like um, the ones that were on Ethereum before. They're now saying, okay, we have a asset on Cardano. You can do a you know redeem it and then like we will trade on sunday there's farming that starts today for sunday token 
Charles Hoskinson, Tweez of Boston, they swap. Right. Like, it's all very um, Cardano hype. Interesting. Okay, okay. That's why he's a Sunday swap. Yeah. I I don't know what's valued at right now. Um, you can check. I think it's live now. Sunday um, swap. <sighs> Cardano to Sunday. Yeah. Um, what's it called? Looks like uh, the market's crashing as well. <laughs> Again. <Yeah. laughs> so just to go back on the the solid swap, the solid swap is fundamentally an ohm fork. Okay. Yeah. Oh I my a, god! Really? I have a thread on it here. Yeah. We're still um, doing ohm forks. I think we're done. Yeah, bro. It's Ohm Fork V2. Oh, God, it's... okay. I guess Ohm is a good model, so... Okay, so Sunday is um, $0.20 right now. It has a 2 billion total supply, so it's pretty big. <laughs> okay. FTV currently. That's not bad. It's pretty high, 400 million FTV, I think, for DEX. Like, there's, there's yeah, yes, for like DEX, three, yeah. yeah, like Pancake, Sushi, Uni. That's larger than that. Oh, so that is pretty high. Yeah, it's hard, It's twice as large as Troll now. I think. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, it's twice that is really high. Maybe FTV. I don't know, but but it's uh, it's definitely pretty pretty high. Uh, I I'll probably be farming this starting tonight. Um, I'll try to figure out the rates, the APR on it. Um, let's see. Sunday. Yeah. Uh. Looks similar to a Uni V3 model, actually. Um, yeah, I'll have to I'll have to keep you guys updated. I think I think at least farming the Sunday Ada pretty pretty safe uh, if the APR is high. What about Ronin? Did that launch? Like the Ronin uh, chain that? isn't live yet, but the uh, coin hasn't launched, right? The coin has a futures market on FTX, yeah, it's just the futures market, yeah, yeah. That one's a f- four billion FTV, uh, that's, that's really high, yeah. Four billion FTV initial circulating is going to be f- around 400 million, mm, okay, that is super high. Pretty high. Uh, yeah. Um. Aside from that, I'm all, oh, oh yeah, also Syscoin, another one. Uh, Dirt Dex is launching. Yeah, Syscoin. That's the. Next uh, week. Yeah. That's ZK, right? Yeah, ZK, they have yeah. ZK uh, for scaling ZK roll up, but that's uh. Later this year, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, but their first X is uh launching this week as well. So, some good, good place. Uh, secret? yeah, I mean, yeah, secret. no, no, good, good, good. Uh, secret has a 400 million dollar ecosystem fund that they announced yesterday. <laughs> yeah, we're in it. Yeah, we, oh, we nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't I, know if you saw our name no, there. Yeah, no, I didn't. I was, I was like, if, <laughs> yeah, we're in it, dude. Not in this. Yeah, we're in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I yeah. was like, I would, I would have been bummed if we weren't. <laughs> no, yeah. Um, I think yeah. Uh, they, yeah. What was it? Um, Secret Network Foundation, right? Yes, I have a link if you need one. Yeah, I think uh, there were a bunch of teams in there. Um, 
can't remember. Yeah, I think Defiance wasn't there. Defiance, um, Alameda, Coin. Yeah, Coin, Alameda was in there. Um, yeah, Hashkey was in there. Yeah, I can't remember, like, all the, I, I remember, like, they had a whole PR around it, and we were popping for it. Yeah, Defiance, Alameda, CoinFund, Hashkey, um, Hashed, Arrington, Block Tower, Bambusher, Terra, NGC, Skyvision, Figment, Magnus, Extreme, Shima's in there, Dragonfly's in there, yeah, we're in there. Colby, KuCoin, yeah. Very, very active people, at least. Yeah, people that are quick. Oh, some are active, some are not, yeah. Yeah, so hopefully, um, like, yeah, some of the active ones will be able to get some of the, um, yeah, some of the uh, ecosystem, um, like, highlight some of the ecosystem projects. Uh, we, we have a similar initiative that we're doing uh, with Harmony right now as well. So we'll probably uh, get that going pretty soon here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. and um, there was a thing. Right. Uh, another thing for Brand, for guys at Fairside. Um, there's actually um, uh, early, like, uh, bonding period. Right for like public get into the basically token sale, right? Like uh, same price as I think all the um, early investors as well. Uh, so that's I think that's very um, good opportunity if you guys want to talk about that. Um, yeah, sure. So. Uh, similar to how you see a lot of uh, projects do an IDO, yeah. um, we uh, we have you know the mint and burn function from our own AMM on the bonding curve. So we're doing an initial bonding offering. We're calling it the IBO, and anybody in our uh, Telegram group, there will be a link that's provided in the next few days here, where you're able to basically whitelist your address and priority in the bonding curve matters. So whitelist. What's that? People, people will go nuts for wireless. <laughs> yeah. OG well, wrong, please. <laughs> so you, obviously, you know, priority in the bonding curve matters, and so before the curve is publicly available to everybody in the world, we're going to allow our community from Telegram to um, sign up for the whitelist um, and then be the first to um, mint FSD tokens at the lowest available price. And so that's nice because, you know, we have raised quite a bit of capital um, from a whole lot of venture capital uh, funds, from, um, from projects, from founders of different projects and different ecosystems, kind of like following that same narrative that we're multi-chain. We also have all these founders coming in and whitelisting um, th their own tokens and they're interacting directly with the curve um, prior to launch. But there's going to be this uh, whitelist for the community, which will be uh, really great, allowing them to come in directly behind um, venture capital, which on the bonding curve, it puts them cents away from everybody else. And uh, what's what's the kind of rough, like effective um, valuation of the like this whitelist portion of bonding curve? And so it's, it's going to depend um, a little bit on the. Um, the venture capital. And so, I mean, the curve starts with zero Ethereum in it. We have um, quite a bit of Ethereum that's been raised and we're going to uh, bond that Ethereum. And then, and that, that bond basically happens at a 13 million, 13.2 million dollar valuation, um, yeah. which will then mint uh, in our model, mints new tokens, um, which would then ultimately raise the valuation prior to the public launch. But it does, it only changes between like, 24 cents and you know like 28 cents um when we go yeah so like, yeah. Like, yeah i think it was like under 20 that i uh initially, yeah. yeah yeah it's a very minor difference because it's like the same equation throughout the growth of the project it's not like uh, oh we set the 
early investors as like oh half the price of the public. It's like literally the same bonding curve based on like supply and demand of um, users and and the pool. So it's, it's yeah, it's pretty pretty good model, I think, and it's. Um, it's, a very fair, it's a very fair way to launch, right? Yeah, I'm surprised people haven't caught on to it. And like, I probably bomb more in the public as well, just because it's it's public. So it's even easier, <laughs> easier money. Yeah. Yep. Um. Yeah. Do we have any anything else? Um. To that is really good short term. Oh, uh, um, no, just buy Bitcoin, guys. It's really cheap right now. Buy Bitcoin, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everything's cheap right now. I mean, that's yeah, yeah. I'm gonna go buy some after this call, actually. I'm gonna go farm and see what's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then. Buy- Bitcoin probably. Yeah, but Bitcoin and Ethereum. Yep. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. Um, I think that was a pretty good call. Um, I I do need to really follow on the notes um, on the like yeah fifteen minutes. Dude, yeah. yeah, like I I got so lost <laughs> first minutes. This is so why I've had to... like three calls now with Brandon. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I need to um I need to go back to the notes and then see um what. I like just kind of like test my intelligence. Yeah, um, we definitely dumbed it down at the end. So if I can understand it, then you guys did a good job of conveying the the idea. So, <laughs> the, so. I I don't know. I still I don't know how much I got it at the end. Still, um, <laughs> I was pretty quiet <laughs> through and through. Um, so yeah, I need to uh, I need to like go back and then uh, yeah do a review. But anyways, yeah, thanks for coming on, guys. Um, this was this was great. Yeah, hey, thanks, thanks so much us. for having us. Thanks for having John to listen. Yeah. Sounds thanks. good, all right. Talk soon. Take care, guys. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Yeah, Bye. have a good